Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here this morning. My name is Matt, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, again, as Emily said, I want to say uh, just a special greeting to those of you who are with us for the very first time. So, so good to have you here uh, this morning. We consider it such a privilege that you would take some time from your uh, weekend and join us here uh, this morning. And also, huge thank you to our many, many, many volunteers uh, who showed up here super early this morning to set us up, to get us ready, who will be here long after we leave uh, to just empower us to be able to have church here together. So thank you so much for that. Well, as uh, we uh, conclude our offering and as you're giving to that, uh, so exciting to know that right now in this season of Love Blitz, as Emily talked about, that 10% of all of our giving uh, here in the baskets or online during this Love Blitz season are going to, into an account uh, so that we can have some money just to give away to some of the organizations that we are uh, connecting with. And uh, so excited about that. Right now, there's about $4,000 sitting in that account uh, that we're going to be able to give away here in the next couple of weeks. So as you continue to give and give generously, uh, it's just going to keep making that number go up. And one of the ways that you can contribute uh, financially also uh, to just be a part of the conversation is you can pick up one of the four Kosciuszko t-shirts that are out in the lobby. And there's a variety of different ones and different prices. And when you purchase those, it puts money right into that Love Blitz account and then also gives you a cool shirt that you can just connect with people and share with them what four Kosciuszko is all about. Well, Today we are uh, continuing our Rebuildable series. Last week we paused, we took a break uh, to celebrate our baptism service, which is so great because sometimes you just need to do that. You need to shut everything down and you need to pause and you need to just celebrate some life change and some of the things that Jesus has been doing in and among us. And last week was just so, so encouraging and so exciting, I know for me and for, for many people. Um, but today we're picking back up on this series, Rebuildable, and this is uh, part four. And in this series, what we're doing is we are exploring this story uh, of a man called Nehemiah, this fifth century BC man, uh, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, he finds out and he learns about some just incredible brokenness, just a huge mess, something that is absolutely destroyed and a disaster. And rather than just kind of pulling away from it, he actually leans in and he uh, joins this invitation that God has laid out for him to be a part of the rebuilding work. And, and through this story, we're exploring just this thought and this, this belief that we believe this is some of the work that God absolutely loves to do. Reclaiming, redeeming, restoring, rebuilding. This is what he is in the business of doing and he loves to do it through his people. It brings him so much glory and so much praise and so much honor when through the faithful work of his followers and his children and his people this work of rebuilding can happen. So go ahead, call something, proclaim something broken. Something that's just too impossible to rescue, too far gone to bring back. And these are some of the moments that God will step in and build some of his most beautiful masterpieces. And again, not only will he do the unimaginable, but he'll do it through his people. And so God invites us to do and to be a part of this work. And we know this because we read this through his word, and we see this through the life and example of Jesus Christ and the things that Jesus calls us to. And we also know this because we personally 
Uh, we have been given visions and things that God has given us and has placed into our lives, into our hearts. Specific areas, specific passions, things that when we hear about the brokenness, uh, we connect with that and our heart skips an extra beat. Maybe for some of you, even as Emily was standing up here and she was talking about some of the love blitz things and some of the things that are going on uh, around us and some of the ministries that we're involved in from uh, orphans to CASA to sex trafficking, maybe something in you just rises up as you hear those things because in you is this just DNA, this programming, this design from the Almighty to say, I was made to be a part of that. I want to be a rebuilder in that world. And that is, that's the story of Donna Plummer, the beloved, not forgotten. She became aware of, through her investment in the youth in our community, she became aware of some of the very real sex trafficking stories that are happening in our community. And yet most people go, wait, 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 what? No. But no, she, she's explored this and she's found some things and she's learned some things and her heart is saying, I'm not okay with this. And she went across seas and she was involved in some ministry. Now she's saying, I'm home, I'm here. And I believe God has called me to do this here because God has given her this vision, this thing that she has to do something about it. So for you, maybe it is sex trafficking, or maybe it's a clean water initiative, or maybe it has something to do with foster care and providing a safe place, a safe home uh, for those who are in crisis. Maybe for you, it has to do with adoption and bringing in and caring for the orphan. Maybe uh, just things like extreme poverty just get you a little bit fired up, or or you find out about this refugee crisis and you say, I've got to do something about this. Maybe for you, it's advocating for the unborn. Maybe it's that you feel just compelled to take the gospel to the furthest reaches of the globe. And when you hear Emily talk about this persecuted church Sunday and a hundred million of our brothers and sisters in Christ, they don't have the same freedoms that we do. They actually get persecuted for their faith. Something in you says, I've got to go and be a part of that. I need to be there. I need to help. I need to minister. I need to care for these people. One of my best friends from college, he was sitting in a conference and all of a sudden he just had this unbelievable, unexplainable call from God to just go to the Middle East to be right in the middle of some of the most unbelievable, dangerous persecution that was going on. And he went with his wife and his three young kids and he's been there now for almost eight years doing that ministry because God placed that vision inside of him. Well, for some of us, while our hearts beat for some of these big, global, communal type things, these visions that we want to be a part of, for some of us, we have things right now in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own hearts that need some attention, some things that need some vision, some things that need some partnering with God, because we're finding ourselves in the the midst of a mess. We're finding ourselves in the midst of some rubble, and we need to begin a rebuilding process in our own lives, over our relationships, our marriages, how we are interacting and relating with our spouse, our children, our vision for our families and our kids, our finances. Some of us have a debt that it just needs to be retired. It needs some attention. Some of us, we need to do the hard, messy work of restoring a relationship that's been broken. Some of us need to end a relationship that we have no business being in. 
And for many of us, there's a habit that needs to be broken. Something that is just consuming you. And it needs a vision, it needs some attention, it needs a partnership with God to just pull you out of the mess. Whatever the case may be, God is the supplier of vision and in partnership with him, we can be part of rebuilding areas of life and places around the world or in places in our own life that we look at and we go, this just seems way too messy. And he goes, no, come, come with me. I've got something for you here. We see this through the story of Nehemiah. So let me catch you up just a little bit on the story. And I want to share with you um, just a few practical thoughts today on what it means to guard and to fight for your vision. So you can open your Bibles up to Nehemiah uh, chapter 6 if you have them. Nehemiah chapter 6, we'll get to that in just a moment. And as always, the verses will be up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. But uh, for sake of catching up, Nehemiah, he is uh, working for the king, King Artaxerxes in Susa, which is the capital of Persia. And he's the cupbearer to the king. He gets word that the condition of Jerusalem is in horrible shape. It is just physically and spiritually torn apart. And primarily because the walls around the city have been in ruins and torn down for over 100 years. There are no walls. There are no gates. There's no protection. In fact, King Artaxerxes, he had forbidden the Jews just a few years before. A number of Jews returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls. And King Artaxerxes sends notice, no, stop the walls. Do not build the walls. You are forbidden to rebuild these walls. And so as a result, they are just in horrible, horrible shape, being overrun by the neighboring countries and warlords. And so Nehemiah, he gets this news and he's absolutely broken over it. He weeps, he mourns, and he pleads with God, and he starts this prayer, this prayer that lasts for four months, where he prays to God, God, would you please do this unbelievable work, the work that only you can do? Would you please return us to yourself? Would you please forgive us of our sins? Would you please move us towards restoration? And God, I'm all in, I will be a part of it, but God, I need you to grant me favor with the king. I'm shouldered up next to him as the cupbearer, but I need you to do a work in his heart to open that door. And so for four months, there's praying and there's preparing. And then finally the day comes where the king looks at Nehemiah and he's like, hey, why are you so sad? What's going on here? Nehemiah says, well, because of my people. Because the land back where my, my ancestors are buried, it's just in ruins. And they're just barely surviving. What's there not for me to be sad about? And the king says, well, what is it that you want? Now keep in mind, Nehemiah, he's not an official. He's not a ruler. He's not a member of Congress. He's a slave. And yet God answers Nehemiah's prayer and grants him favor with the king. And he births in him this vision that through his life, restoration and redemption can happen. So the king not only agrees to send Nehemiah to allow him to start this construction project, but he sends him with the supplies and he sends him with this note that has the king's seal on it so the neighboring countries won't mess with him as he's traveling to Jerusalem. And he sends him with these armed 
bodyguards. And Nehemiah, he gets to Jerusalem and he surveys the damage and his heart is broken even further. And he rounds up the Israelites and he reveals to them, hey, this is why I'm here. This is what God has brought me to do. And by the way, let me tell you the amazing thing God has already done in the hearts of the king. And the people are so moved and they say, all right, let's do this. Let's get to work. Let's rebuild these walls. And as soon as the word gets out that the Jews have started working on the walls, the neighboring bullies are not happy because they are seeing, uh-oh, our free meal ticket, all the natural resources that we can just waltz into this promised land and steal, the stomping grounds, the area that we can just have total control over. This is going to be threatened if this wall gets constructed. And as Kondo shared last time, when you are doing the restoring, redeeming, and reclaiming work of the kingdom of God, it will bring out the enemy. Not just a physical enemy, but the forces of darkness. You see, the forces of evil, they're not so intimidated by our dreams and our big conversations and our meetings over coffee. But the moment that work gets going, you better believe that opposition is going to start coming out. And friends, if you are leaning into rebuilding some of the things around you that are broken and life starts to get a little bit more stressed and a little bit more strained, you're in good company. Could very well be that you have stepped foot on the path that God has for you in this work of rebuilding. And the enemy has taken notice and opposition is being sent your way through doubts and discouragement. And this is what the Jewish people faced when they started rebuilding insults and taunts and and threats from the outside world. Who do you think you are? Really? Really rebuilding the wall? Okay. Rebelling against the king, huh? Yeah, see, I remember last time you did this and the king told you, "Uh uh-uh, no go, don't do that. So, okay, that's interesting. You fools. Like, what what do you even know about building a wall? I, I bet if a fox climbed up to the top of the wall, it would just topple over. That's an actual taunt in chapter four, which I find so interesting because we could have found out what did the fox say, but it didn't work out. (laughs) So dumb. All right. Um, So threats of attack are starting to pour in. And so Nehemiah has to pull people off the wall and he has to reorganize. And he has to set up some people to do guard duty and to do lookout. And it says some people, they are building with one hand and they're holding a weapon with another. And no matter what happens, the work just keeps continuing and the wall is getting higher and higher and higher. And some of Nehemiah's opponents are looking in and they're saying, whoa, we got to change up the strategy here. This thing is not working out for us. The wall is coming together. You see, up until now, they've been just trying to sow seeds of doubt into the builders and into the workers to sow in seeds of uh, just this doubt and discouragement to pull them off mission, to pull them off task. But through Nehemiah's leadership and organization, it just doesn't work. And so now they decide they've got to try to get inside the head of the leader. They need to go after Nehemiah. Let's take a look. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come. Let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So our resident thug, Sanballat, and his buddies, they try another angle. 
Hey, let's distract Nehemiah now that he's actually getting the wall done. Let's get him to come out for a little chat, a little bit of meeting. Hey, good job, Nehemiah. Good job on the wall. We want to just kind of talk about some things. And when they get him out, they will just kill him. They'll take him out. And their feeling and their thought is, is once he's out of the picture, certainly they can get the people to scatter. And they realize that the wall is wrapping up. And as soon as those gates are built and installed, they are going to be sealed out of the promised land. So come, let us meet in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. And this plain is appropriately named. Oh no, like not good things. Not good things are going to happen here. Don't go there. The plan's not good. It's a trap. Nehemiah realizes that and he replies in verse three. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. And the reply that Nehemiah gives them, this next line, it is so huge. This line is, has the power to transform and change the way that you think and you operate. It can be so revolutionary in the ways that you apply this to your vision, to your goal, to the things that God has called you to do. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. It's a tiny shift in the language, but I love how the New American Standard says it. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Say it with me. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. If Nehemiah had come down off of the wall, they would have taken his life. And like Nehemiah, there's things in your life and there's things in my life that if we do not complete them, if we do not deal with them, if we do not give them attention, if we do not focus on them, they have the potential to ruin your life as well. If you are not vigilant on the wall during the hard work of stewarding and growing your relationships, there are things in our relationships. If we do not pay attention, they have the potential and the power to ruin our lives to kill your family, to destroy your marriage, to ruin your relationship and your future relationship with your kids and possibly even your grandkids. There's a great work that must be done in our relationships. There are things that if you come down the wall and you step foot off the ladder that will ruin you financially. And some of us are going through that and facing that right now because we didn't pay attention to certain things and now there is a breach in the wall. Some of us have habits that have the potential to destroy our lives and potentially even physically kill you. But you've chosen to ignore it. You told your spouse, don't bring that up again. You've pushed people away who have gently pressed in out of concern. And you've just decided, hey, I'm going to gut this out. I'm going to figure it out. I'm, I'm going I'm to deal with it. But just, and you're not giving it the attention that it needs. And there's a breach and there's a crack in the wall. 
And yet you come to church, and some of you every week, and, and you sit through a, a service, and you, you worship, and you sing the songs, and you listen to a message. You sit through a baptism service like we had last Sunday, and you celebrate, and you go crazy when people are talking about life change and the work that Jesus is doing in them, and you feel all the feels. And my goodness, I love that. I'm so, so grateful that you're here. But you're ignoring some of the most basic and fundamental things that need some attention. And as I'm throwing out some hypothetical scenarios, you know right away the area of your wall that needs some attention. It doesn't take a lot of work or examination to figure it out. You know. And it's time for you to get back on the wall and to do the great work of rebuilding. I'm doing a great work. and I cannot come down. How great would it be if that could be your focus as you wrap up this year and you head into next year to give some intentional, dedicated, focused time partnering with God to do this work of rebuilding in you to restore and rebuild some of the breaches and cracks that you find in your wall. And hey, if you've got some heavy lifting to do to get restarted, because I know some of us do, don't go at it alone. Find a construction partner to work with you on this. Find someone who can provide wise counsel and objective thinking for you. Some of us need to just sit down with a counselor and process it out and look for healthy ways to engage some of the mess. Some of us, it could simply be just going into our missional community this week and just saying, hey guys, before we get started on the, on the discussion, um, listen, I, I love being here. It, it, it's great. And I love coming to your home and, and drinking your coffee and, and eating your food. I appreciate that. Um, but listen, there's, there's a breach in the wall. And I need to share that with you. And I, and I, need, some, I need some help. I, I want to do this great work of, of rebuilding. But I can't do it on my own. And that's the point of, the commu- of community. And if we can't get real and we can't start to get a little bit of uh, vulnerable around some of these things, then we're just letting the things that are kicking our butts right now open us up to more brokenness and more heartache. Don't go at it alone. And remember, this is about developing a vision for a preferred future. It's about looking beyond the current circumstances and seeing a hopeful future on the horizon. For Nehemiah, he knows For the nation of Israel to get back on track, the wall is step number one. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in Israel. A lot of heart work, a lot of relational work, a lot of political work. But all of that can happen when the wall is built and the people are set at ease. It will get people beyond their current circumstance. They need a vision to get beyond that. And some of us, we need a vision to take us out of what we're experiencing right here and begin to see a preferred future out there. But just like the opposition is going to send doubt and discouragement, as some of that gets worked out and that doesn't do the trick on you, they, they are certainly going to pivot with a new strategy, just like they go after Nehemiah. And so today I want to talk about three distractions, three distractions that can so easily pull you off course, so easily pull you away from your vision, so easily pull you off the wall. And the first one is opportunities, opportunities. 
Sanballat and the gang, they come after Nehemiah. Hey, let's get together. Let's have a chat. Let's grab coffee uh, over at Ono and let's just talk this thing out. Now, based on Israel reestablishing itself as a nation and rebuilding the wall, this really wouldn't been, this wouldn't have been totally out of line. This actually would have been kind of normal because you want to get together and start to establish rhythms and peace with your enemies. And neighboring countries would want to start to set themselves up so there's some routines and boundaries and treaties and trade agreements of like, hey, uh, remember when we used to waltz in and take everything? Okay, well, so we can't do that anymore, but how can we work together? How can we neighbor? How can we set up different alliances? So this meeting actually could have been set up and probably was set up as a really great and appropriately timed meeting to set some of that and Nehemiah could have easily said, well, this looks like a great opportunity. Set up some relationships with our neighbors, establish some peace with our enemies, put some of this stuff to rest. This could be really beneficial. As the governor, I think this is probably something that I should go and do. And yet because of the history of the story and because of Nehemiah's calling being so clear and the work that God has called him to do, he knows better. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. For some of us, we need to start focusing just a little bit, honing our focus. And opportunities, they are a tricky one. Some of them may be disguised as good opportunities that lead to destruction, but not all opportunities are actually secret plans to end your life. Sometimes we just have an overabundance of good opportunities, but none of them add up to be great. A lot of good opportunities boil down to just filling up your schedule, your family calendar, your budget, your resources until you're hardly making it from one thing to the next. And you're running late all the time and you're just burning the candle at both ends, just finding yourself flustered and frustrated. You've lost sight of the great work that is in front of you. The interaction with your spouse has been reduced to just a lot of sighs and eye rolls. And the kids are catching you on the way out the door in the morning. They're asking, Dad, are you going to be home for dinner tonight? With just a twinge of doubt that you will be. And so moms, it may be time to start looking at the the calendar and the schedule and, and, and say, no, I'm not going to add one more thing. I'm not going to commit to one more thing. Sneak into your little one's room at night while they're sleeping and, and just peer on them and look in on them and then just whisper to yourself, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Dads, as you sit at your desk in your office, your your cubicle, whatever the case is, and you look at that picture of your family before you commit to the next late night meeting or the other trip out of town, just say to yourself, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I talked to a a friend um, recently who attends... uh, church here at Mission Point, and he was sharing with me um, just about some of the vision that he and his wife had for their family, their kids, and now that the kids are, are grown. And, and, but back when they were uh, younger, smaller, they, they just had a vision for their family. And uh, part of his commitment was he was not going to aggressively climb the corporate ladder. 
That wasn't the season that he wanted to be in. The season he wanted to be in was home with his wife and his kids. And yet he knew that in committing to this, that he was putting himself in a risky position of uh, not receiving promotions or bonuses or raises and that, that sort of thing. And yet he was okay with that because the vision for his family was the great work that he wanted to be about. And he knew there would be time for the other later on. And so sure enough, the opportunity came for him of, hey, here's a new opportunity. Uh, It's going to be a lot of travel, but it's going to be a huge promotion. And he said, no. He said, I'm sorry, but this is not the season for me to do that. And a younger, much less experienced colleague got the work and got the promotion. And yet my friend got to be home with his family and with his kids as they grew up. And the Lord has since blessed him with plenty of opportunity on the backside of that. Students, you can look at him, you can look at her, and you can say, hey, listen, you are really cute, but I am not coming down off the wall for you. Or, hey, that sounds like a really interesting opportunity, but I have a great work to do. I'm not coming down. Hey, listen, I know, I know, I know. I'd love to hang out more. I need a year. I need a year to just focus and dial in on this thing. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. High school students, college students, you are at this critical point in your life. Many of you are at this crossroads of setting up the pace and the tone for the rest of your life. What you're going to do, what you're going to be about, some of your rhythms, some of your habits. And if you just run around through the season and just fill yourself up and overload your schedule and a million different things and a thousand different relationships and you stretch yourself a mile wide and an inch deep, you're going to just keep coming up to this place of like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm about. And you're not going to have the opportunity to understand what this great work is that God has for you to do. Versus if you can tap into some of the passion and the heartbeat and the things that start to move you. And this starts as we were kids, right? I want to be this when I grow up. And then it morphs and changes and and, uh, evolves into something a little bit different. Keep pursuing that and keep chasing that and keep finding opportunities that allow you to try that so that you can work it out. And you can develop the great work and understand and expose the great work that God has put you on earth to do. You're doing a great work and you cannot come down. Don't let opportunities, even seemingly good ones, pull you away from the great work that you have been given to do. If Nehemiah had accepted Sanballat's invite, they would have killed him. In the same way, the things that we say yes to, the meetings, the investment, the relationships, the hobbies, the invitations, they may kill your chance to accomplish your vision. A friend recently asked me, how do you know, how do you sniff out the good versus the great? Which is a great question. Uh, Two pointers on that for me. Um, Who's the beneficiary of the opportunity? You're presented with an opportunity and it's like, I don't know, should I be a part of this? Who's the beneficiary? You or others? Because if the opportunity is all about you, it's all about your gain, your status, your pocket, your bank account, most likely that's probably going to be filed in one of the good opportunity type categories. 
But if this opportunity that approaches you has something that does, yes, it, it pours into you and builds you up, but it also creates good for the community around you, for your relationships, for your family, for your marriage. There's a good chance that that's a great thing to be a part of. The second thing is just constantly evaluating. Who are you? Who has God created you to be? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What's your personality? What is your wiring? And as opportunities approach you, can you look at that opportunity and run it through the grid of who you are as a person and say, I was created for this. This is me. Your heart beats and you have this vision around it. And there's a fulfillment for you of saying, yes, if I pursue this, this would be the most amazing thing that I could possibly do. That's probably a great one. Or if it's an opportunity that approaches, it's like, wow, that seems kind of cool. Or I don't know, that might be great. And I think I could do that, but I don't know, may, maybe, maybe not. Actually, I think, I think there's someone over here that would be much better at that. Again, that's probably one of those good opportunities that you should consider saying no to so that you have the chance to be a part of the great. Back to Nehemiah. Four times, Stan Ballot and the friends, they uh, sent Nehemiah the same invitation asking him to, to come out. And four times Nehemiah makes his reply, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. And then Sanballat ups the ante on the fifth try and he introduces the next distraction, criticism. Criticism. Chapter six, verse five. Then the fifth time Sanballat sent his aides to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building a wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Sandalit, he lays on criticism in the form of false accusations. Hey, I see what's happening here. You're planning to revolt. The king and his good graces, he sent you out here. He resourced you to even do this project. But now you are turning your back on him. You're forming your own plan to become the king of Judah. I see it happening. Everyone's talking about it. I've even confirmed it with Geshem. And he says it's true. Listen, the report it's going to get back to the king and he's going to want your head. You seriously need to come out and meet with me. Like right now. Check out this detail in verse five. Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message and in his hand was an unsealed letter. Now, back in those days, letters would have been written on papyrus or a strip of leather and it would have been rolled up and it would have been tied with like a rope or a string and then wrapped in some kind of clay so that it was completely sealed up. So that the receiver of the letter would know as they're, you know, tearing into this whole contraption that they are the first one to receive the contents of this letter. And yet the messenger hands him this wide open letter, possibly the first recording of an open letter. Don't you feel so violated when you open your mailbox and there's an envelope with the seal broken? You're like, whoa, 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 what is going on? Call the FBI, heads are gonna roll over this. It's like, sir, it's like a Capital One advertisement, just chill out. No, it's a federal offense and I want some justice here. Like, I freak out when envelopes get opened up. So for Nehemiah, I'm sure he's looking at this 
letter that gets handed to him. And he sees, well, Sanballat conveniently did not follow the rules of being a good pen pal. Just totally pitched that protocol out the window. And he leaves the letter wide open. Knowing that as it makes its journey to Jerusalem, everyone from here to there is going to read the contents and the rumor is going to start to spread like wildfire. So by the time Nehemiah gets it, there are nations of people around him all looking in and spreading rumors about this new king of Judah and this revolt against King Artaxerxes. Nothing could be further from the truth. And yet far too often, people don't really care about the truth. This would not only put Nehemiah in hot water with King Artaxerxes, the Jewish people would be very upset by this because they don't want to do anything to offend or upset the king. They don't want to cut off their ties to the Persians. And so Sanballat lays on this criticism, the false accusations. And yet Nehemiah, he's not phased. He's focused. And rather than just putting a bunch of sideways energy out over this thing, he turns back to the Lord. Take a look, verse 8. I sent him, Sanballat, this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making this up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands are going to get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Nehemiah could have gone into major damage control. He could have done work to just squelch and squash the rumors. But instead, he wisely turns to the one who invited him into this mess to start with. Lord, Sanballat, he is distracting me. He's criticizing me. He's spreading lies and rumors about me. He's trying to consume me and pull me off the wall. He's trying to get me to where I won't finish the work. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to deal with him. And I'm going to trust you with my reputation. Would you please make my hands stronger? Would you please make my focus even sharper? Would you make my resolve even stronger to finish this great work? If you're someone who's been given a great work to do and you are committing to stay on the wall, you need to know that if it hasn't happened already, that the critics are going to come. They don't understand There's a general distrust for anyone who wants to be a part of something new and innovative, especially if it's not built for personal gain. People will struggle with the intensity of your focus. There will be misunderstandings and misquotes and things that will be skewed, and it's hard, and it can hurt. And the vision that Eric and I have for our family and for our kids, um, we try to protect some time at home, and we have a number of evenings that we're out for meetings and uh, getting together with folks and all all those sort of things. But we have some nights that are just off limits, nights that we are just home. And then the times in our life where we have taken in uh, foster placement, those boundaries go way up for us to the point that we almost do become isolated at home. Because we've brought in this child who's in crisis and in their moment of need, they've got eight or 10 different meetings and appointments and things and strangers that they're meeting with all week long as their case is moving. And the last thing they need is to go out to more strangers' homes and be in different environments where they're already struggling in the environment that they're in. 
And so we've learned that we just have to cut some of that off. And that's really hard. Especially as a pastor. I love getting together with people. I love hanging out. And the last thing I want to do is to hurt people and to frustrate people and feel like, oh, we're just, you know, icy cold and uninterested in in hanging out and, you know, stay off. But we've been given this work to do. And we can't come down off the wall. And I've heard people say, and I've heard people say this about other pastors and other situations, but you're a pastor. You have to go to that meeting. Or, you know, my pastor growing up, I mean, he never uh, said no to a home-cooked meal. Clearly, you don't know me. I haven't said no to a lot of home-cooked meals. It's just that I need them to be in my home with my family and my kids in this season. And this can be painful, and it can be hard. And you can have a vision, and you can get accused of doing the very opposite of what your vision is all about. Think about Nehemiah. He leaves the company of the king. He's shouldered up with the king. He's in the palace. I imagine his life is in pretty good shape, especially for a slave. But he leaves that, walks away out of comfort towards destruction. He takes a lot of criticism. He gets a lot of complaints. There's one chapter where it talks about as the governor, he is allotted a certain amount of food. It's kind of like a tax that people need to bring him supplies and food for him to live because he's in charge of the whole thing. And he says, no, not in this season. In this season, I'm not going to accept that. Because we're rebuilding, because we're bringing and pulling our lives back together, I don't want to tax anyone anything. I want you to have enough for your families. I'll trust the Lord to take care of me. You take your resources and take care of your family. And here he is being accused of being power hungry. He could have lost it. He could have mounted an attack to go after Sanballat and say, that's it. I'm done with this guy. I'm going to take him out. But instead he prays and he trusts God with his reputation. And he asks God to help him stay focused on the work. And here's the key to handling criticism. Criticism is emotional. And it stirs up anger. And anger can cause you to lose your focus. Anger is a distraction. And I'll repeat a point that Kanda made a couple of weeks ago. And we can follow Nehemiah's example that he gives us time and time again. Take that frustration, take that criticism, take that anger and start praying real. Go to God, the one who's called you into this and just lay it out for him and trust him to handle it. The comments and questions are gonna come. Why won't you go? Why won't you stay? Why can't you stay? All you do is work. Just come on, come have some fun. You're so religious. Listen, I know family's important, but I'm just talking about one night, just one night. You're no fun anymore. Mm, yeah, I know people who tried that. It, it, it didn't work out. You know this is a long shot, right? What, what do your parents think about this? Now listen, questions aren't bad. In fact, they're great to process out and help you to clarify your vision. But I'm talking about those questions that have a little bit of teeth to them. They're not so much questions as they are statements. Listen, if you want to silence your critics, stay on the wall, do the great work, and succeed. See your vision through to completion. But you cannot succeed if you're spending all of your energy chasing down the rumor mill and letting your anger pull you off mission. Finally, Sanballat introduces the third distraction, and this, this is the last thing as we wrap up, fear. 
He hires one of Nehemiah's friends, or at least someone Nehemiah thought was a friend, to basically approach him and say, listen, Nehemiah, they're coming to kill you tonight. There's an assassin in town. They're going to kill you. We need to take you to the temple and we need you to like hide out and hug it out with the altar so that you'll be safe. You see, the temple is reserved for priests and Nehemiah is not a priest. But there's this Levitical law that if someone is pursuing you to kill you, you can run into the temple and you can kind of bear hug the altar until a judge can come and hear out your case. And so Shemaiah is saying, we got to do this. They're coming. They're coming tonight. They're coming to kill you. But the problem is, is that Shemaiah is lying. And if Nehemiah believes him and follows through on this, two things happen. Number one, he loses his credibility with his people as the leader. If he's just running and tucking his tail and, and hiding when God has given him this vision, it's not exactly inspiring. It's not like real brave heart material, right? They may take our lives, but they'll never take... Okay, okay, you know, like, hide out here. That doesn't work. Like he has to lead the way in what it means to be courageous and trusting God with his life. And number two, if he goes in and he hugs it out with the altar and then they reveal, oh, actually there is no assassin, then Nehemiah is going to be found in sin and in violation of being in the temple and he loses his moral authority with his people. Again, Nehemiah is focused and determined not to be distracted and he doesn't fall for the trick. And I'm sure he's pretty suspicious at this point. Because he doesn't know if Shemaiah is lying about these assassins. He could have very easily let the fear of the unknown pull him away from the vision. And when you pursue the great work that God has given you to do, it's going to be filled with unknowns. A lot of what ifs, and that's fertile ground for fear. And like anger, fear is another thing that can consume you and can pull you off of your focus. Because it causes you to ask all these questions. I mean, he's not exactly what I'm looking for, but... What if no one else comes along? I, I, I know I, I need to quit that job, but what if there's not another one? I, I know I need to say no, but, but, but what if it causes me the promotion? And the ultimate, what if? What if I fail? Rather than leaning into the preferred future, the vision of the preferred future, where we are trusting and believing great things can happen, we start to spin in this cycle of all of the what ifs and how they could go wrong. And fear takes over and causes us to shrink back. And our, our vision begins to lose sight of the great work. And we can run for the safety of the altar. And if you let fear rule you, the fear of loss, the fear of rejection, the fear of missing out, FOMO, that's a big one. You can miss out on some really significant things that God wants to do in and through you. Don't let fear rob you your vision that you have for your relationships, your family, your marriage, your career, your ministry. Get back on the wall and do the great work. And hey, listen, this week, in the next couple of days, as we head in to this election, can we please, please have a renewed sense of trust and faith in God. Who he is, what he's about, his character, that he is in the control of the story. And can we just step back and can we look and say, is it possible that some of this has been a huge, big distraction that has pulled us off of the wall of the great work that we need to do? Because we're paralyzed by fear. 
because we're looking around at all the criticism and all the opportunities and all the what ifs, and it's just owning us. And we need to stop. We need to turn off the news. We need to shut down social media for a while. And we need to get back on the wall and do the great work. Verse 15 and 16, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in the, in the 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. By staying faithful to God and the vision that he had given Nehemiah, the work of rebuilding the wall is done in 52 days. And when it happens... All the critics, all the enemies, they lose complete steam and confidence. And they see this was God. God did this. Almighty God showed up through the faithful work of his people. It's unexplainable. 52 days ago when this work started, it was a complete joke. No way this is going to happen. You're not going to succeed. Who do you think you are? And then that gets answered. They're the children of the living God. And imagine the glory that God could receive if you would see your vision through. Imagine the moment that the faithful and disciplined work suddenly produces something that is much larger than you are capable of. Something that leaves people in awe of God's handiwork. As a church, we are doing, uh, trying to do our work, and we are working on our part of the wall and wanting to do the great work that God has given us to do here in Kosciuszko County. And we're exploring new ways to partner with fellow builders of the wall around the world. And we want to be about this great work that he has for us. And we'd love to be a place that is filled with people who are courageously partnering with God to rebuild the areas of their life and community that need attention. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for Nehemiah and thank you for uh, his life and the example of his work. Lord, thank you for the trust and the faith that he has in you as the one who creates and gives the vision. And Lord, thank you for his faithfulness to do the work that you laid out for him. But as opposition comes, as doubt and discouragement and distractions come, he turns to you. And ask you, God, will you do the work only you can do in this? And will you strengthen me to be faithful in the work you've given me to do? So Lord, I pray that over us. I pray that you would move in us and help us to reclaim and focus some of the visions that you have given us. And God, we would be found faithful in that work. And Lord, for some of us that need to drill down into some very personal things where there is a breach and a crack in the wall, God, I pray that you would give courage and you would provide help and you would provide counsel around these people to start leaning into some of the mess and begin a process of rebuilding. Lord, we need you in this. And our desire is that through it, you would receive the glory. That as people peer in and they observe our lives and some of the work that we're about, they would see almighty God and work that is only capable through your hand. So we pray that over Love Ops or Love Blitz this week as we go out, that God, it would just be a work of your hand, absolutely unexplainable, no way to point out anything else other than a work of you. Lord, we love you. We thank you so very much for your love 
for us in Christ's name. Amen.